So uh, this is the conclusion of our series, Dear John, and we, we, we've used the, the idea of a Dear John letter uh, as uh, the fact of the matter is that Jesus himself is the one uh, who has been rejected. Uh, the gospel of, of John is the story about the creator of the universe who has entered into the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. It's the story about the the one who came into his own, his own people, his own nation, that, that there were so many promises and so many prophecies concerning his coming, but yet they, they did not receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe in his name. When he was not only not received, we said last week that he was viscerally and, and uh, violently uh, despised and rejected. And so it, it, it's, it's way more than just a Dear John letter. It is, it is the absolute rejection of the love of God. And when Jesus was rejected, he was, he was rejected because he came in a way that they didn't desire and he came in a way that they didn't want or they didn't uh, expect. And uh, as a result of that, Jesus was rejected. He he was uh, expected to be the ultimate general, but Jesus came as the ultimate servant. He came in meekness and humility. Uh, he came uh, in such a way that uh, did not meet their expectation. They were looking for the yoke of oppression to be broken over their nation politically, socially, economically, but Jesus came to break the yoke of oppression spiritually, the the, the dominion of Satan, the powers of sin and darkness. And as a result of that, Jesus was rejected. He didn't come as so many other teachers and sages and religious leaders came saying, follow me because I can tell you how to find God. Rather, he was God who came to find us. I'll say it again. He wasn't like other teachers who said, Come and follow me because I could tell you how to find God. He was God who has come to find us. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't one who, come, who came to tell us about the love of God. He came to show us the love of God. This uh, past Wednesday, many of you know, uh, we spoke before service. You asked about how the kids were doing and how Heather and uh, her family was doing. Uh, we sent out an emergency prayer request on Wednesday late afternoon late Wednesday afternoon, Kelly uh, called our house that uh, Heather, uh, Heather Hutzler, just raise your hand, where are you? There you go. Uh, was in a, a, a car accident with her two children and uh, my daughter-in-law Bryn was also in the car and uh, some, some guy had gone through a red light and uh, T-boned uh, the car. Uh, the kids and Heather all were taken to uh, the hospital by uh, ambulance and so we got a phone call. Kelly was, was actually coincidentally, and I don't mean coincidentally, but she was uh, actually in the area of uh, Southside Hospital where they were taken to. In fact, Kelly got there before the ambulance got there, and so she was waiting for them as they were taken out of the ambulance and into the ER uh, until uh, x-rays were done and exams were, 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 were completed until they were finally released uh, you know, there was that tension there. And, and so we send out a prayer request asking people to, to please pray. 
And uh, we're so thankful to the Lord to say that while everybody did get banged up a bit and little bruises here and there, uh, you know, thank God there was no broken bones, no internal bleeding, no serious uh, injuries to, to either the three children or, or to Heather. And so we're, we're grateful for that. Uh, I, I share that because when, when, when Peter got the call, uh, that uh, his family was in uh, an accident and Doug got the call. His daughter was in an accident and these two husbands and, and uh, gentlemen rushed to the hospital. It kind of brought me back uh, remembering what happened a long time ago when my kids were about the same age as, as Bryn and, and uh, Heather's children. Uh, I got a phone call from a policeman. He identified himself as a policeman said, Mr. Pavone, I want you to know that uh, your wife and your two children were in a car accident. They were uh, broadsided by a Cadillac on Veterans Highway in Comac. And uh, they're being taken to St. John's, at the time it was St. John's Hospital. And, uh, well, you know, like, the first thing I thought of was, can, can you tell me, are they okay? You know, was their injuries serious? You know, and of course, they, they couldn't give out any information like that. So, by the time I was able to go from the house to the hospital, all, all those thoughts, you know, the, 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 the fear comes upon you, the, the anxiety of not knowing, you know, your whole life can change in a moment's time. One phone call can, can mean uh, the difference in your, in your life for the, for the rest of your life. And it's at moments like these when we suddenly realize guess what? We're not in control. That we sometimes feel absolutely helpless when we find ourselves in a situation like this. You see, we, we kind of live with the illusion that we're in control. We, 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 we kind of live, you know, with, with, with the idea that we make, we make dozens of decisions all day long about, you know, things that we want to do, what time we want to wake up, what we're going to have for breakfast. You know, uh, the, the different things that, that, that simply are, are part of our daily life. We, we have this false sense that we're really in control. But when something like this happens, it, it causes you to realize just how helpless you are and just how not in control you are when life events like this take place. Uh, my kids were okay. My wife was okay. It was, it was so similar, you know, uh, the, the same kind of scenario uh, took place, and again, thank, thanking God for uh, having uh, protected them through that through that accident. But but what I want you to know is this: is that that this is a reality for every single one of us. I mean, maybe you have had a similar uh, event happen in your life when when all of a sudden you 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 realize, you know, that sinking feeling comes over you. I'm not in control. But here's the truth of the matter is that though, though we are sometimes helpless, we're not without help. And though sometimes, you know, it's obvious that we're not in control, it doesn't mean that there isn't someone else who is in control. And I just want you to know that that, that one who is in control and that one who offers help. I, I love what the psalmist said so many centuries ago. He said, he said, I will look to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of of heaven and earth. And in the Gospel of John, John, from the very opening chapter to the very end of, the, of, of this great book called the Gospel of John, he is unveiling the, the creator who has come among us, 
who has absolute authority and absolute control over all the, all the events and all the affairs of this life. And we're going to look at that this morning. The scriptures reveal someone who is absolutely in control, who's numbered the hairs on our head, who, who says that not a sparrow falls to the ground without his knowledge or without his permission. So I just want you to know, just get that down in your heart this morning. Though we are, we are sometimes helpless, we are not without help. That we, have, that we have a God who is an ever-present help in time of need. This is his universe. This is his world. And, and he is the ultimate Lord of heaven and earth. And the sovereignty of God is something I absolutely believe in practice. The God who, who didn't come to tell me about God, but the God who came to find me is the one that can give us confidence and courage in the midst of, uh, of this life. You see, he's not only the Lord of history, he's the Lord of our story. And he wants to come alongside of us and give us the comfort and the encouragement that we need. If you're here this morning and, and you may not be a follower or, or a believer, you, you may not know what you believe or you may have doubts about what you believe and whether you believe in God or whether you believe in Jesus. And I want you to know that doesn't put us off for one single moment. Your, your, your questions don't, don't put us off. And, and uh, we may not have all of the answers for you, but we've discovered this, that better than knowing all of the answers of all of the issues of life, it's better to know Jesus. It's better to know that Jesus is himself enough, and you can fill in the blanks that Jesus is able to supply all of our need by his riches and glory in Christ. In John's gospel, we're going to look at the 18th uh, chapter in just a moment, but I believe with all my heart that there is that there's something that's going on here that in the life of Jesus, how he handled what seemingly was horrific events, what seemingly were like, like impossible situations for him, but, but in reality were the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. This all happened by divine design, and we see that come out so beautifully this morning. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. It says this, when he had finished praying, and the prayer that John has in mind is the entire 17th chapter that just preceded us. And in that, it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Is where he's interceding first for himself and also for his disciples and also for those that would believe as a result of their witness and their testimony. But he also prays something profound and that is that, that we would all come to know the love of God that the Father has for us in the same way that the Father loves the Son, that we would personally come to experience that. And so he says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. That is, they left the room where they were having the Passover, where they celebrated that last supper, that last meal together. After Jesus had washed the feet of his disciples and after the Bible says that Satan having entered into Judas Iscariot to betray the Lord, he went out and there he conspired with the, the Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. And it says this, that they left with the disciples and they crossed the Kidron Valley. Now, if you know anything about the scriptures, you know that this is the exact route that David took so many centuries ago, the, 
the one who was to, to come as the greater David follows that same route. And, and it's historically significant because, because David, barefooted, tears flowing down his face, was fleeing from his own son Absalom who had declared a rebellion against his father. His best friend, his childhood buddy, Ahithophel has now betrayed David. And David, this is the lowest place of David's life. And here Jesus walks the same valley of Kidron. On the other side, there was an olive grove. And he and his disciples went into it. We know that to be the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I want to say this about the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, we, 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 we know so much about the Garden of Gethsemane. We've preached so many times about the Garden of Gethsemane. It is a mystery and a wonder. From Luke's point of view, he deals with the, the man Christ Jesus who, whose, whose heritage goes way back to, to Adam uh, as the last Adam and the second man. And so he, he deals with the, the, the sweat drops of blood that fell from his eyes he deals with Jesus falling to the ground and, and, and pleading with the Father. But John doesn't take that point of view because John's purpose in writing his gospel is to present Jesus as the divine Son of God, as the creator by whom all things were made. And without him, there is nothing made that exists. And he is before all things. He's the word who was God, who, who is God. And so, and so John has a very different aspect. It's, it's the two natures of God we see in all of the scriptures, but, but in John's gospel, we see the divine side of the Son of God. And so it says, it says in verse 3, So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some of the officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. The word detachment is very specific. Uh, it was a tenth part of a legion. And, and this may blow you away. It was not depicted in The Passion of the Christ, if you saw that, and in so many other movies in which Jesus is arrested in the garden. This was a number of about 500 men. A detachment was one-tenth part of a legion. And so there, were, and I'm going to explain why there were so many soldiers that had come to arrest Jesus and his followers in just a few minutes. But they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And verse 4 really is the key to our understanding this whole portion of Scripture. It says this, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, I told you that I am, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. The words he spoken in, in chapter 17, his prayer that, that not one of them should be lost. I have not lost one of those that you gave me. Verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? 
Then it says the detachment placed Jesus under arrest. They brought him away bound. What an amazing portion of scripture. It is evident that Jesus was the one who was in control of the circumstances that were taking place here in the garden. Jesus is no victim and therefore as a result of that he demonstrates for us that if he's in control of this the most horrific event in human history then he's certainly able to be one who is in control of the events of our lives as well. One of the reasons why there was so many soldiers, 500 probably in number, that came out to arrest him is because, listen, in previous times when the Jewish leaders wanted to arrest Jesus and were afraid to arrest Jesus because of the crowd, because of the, the multitude, because of the supporters of Jesus, they didn't want to create a riot. They didn't want to create an insurrection. And so, and so they, 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 they wanted to make sure that there would be, if there was a, a, a force to, to object to his arrest, that they would put down that, that, uh, that uh, rebellion really very quickly. And what makes this story so amazing is that these men with their weapons, these, these, these Roman soldiers with drawn swords, are now fall to the ground when Jesus utters two simple words, I am. But that word I am is the unmistakable name of God, the name that, that God revealed to Moses when Moses said, who shall I say has sent me? Just say I am has sent you. That, that unutterable name of God, Jesus just simply spoke those two words and they fell to the ground backwards. You know, I, I wish John would tell us how long it took them to get up off the ground, you know. But I, I see those guys like, listen, I see them like, like stuck to Velcro on the ground. And Jesus demonstrates his divine power and his authority as he simply speaks those words. Now, let me say this, that if Jesus wanted to, he could have just simply walked out of that garden into the night. But Jesus arranged where he would be arrested, for Jesus is the sovereign Lord of all. He's the Lord of creation, and he's got everything under control. He's got them exactly where he wants them to be. Somebody might suppose, you know, that Jesus really wasn't being that considerate of his disciples because he put them all in danger. They were all now in danger of being arrested and put in prison and, and suffering along with him. And so if he really had them at, at you know, his, their best interest, he would have left them in Jerusalem. You know, he could have said to them like he did at other times, you guys stay here, I'm going to go off to pray. And then he would have been all by himself and they would have easily arrested him. And instead of the, the risk of the, of, of the possibility of them all being arrested at this time. But I want you to see this that Jesus purposely had them there to witness his power and authority in demonstrating who he was as the great I am. Could you, could you imagine? He, he spoke that, that word. I imagine he, he said it softly, I am, and they fell backward to the ground. Could you imagine if he spoke in anger? Could you imagine if he raised up his voice, what might have happened? No, this is... This is the one who is absolutely in control. This, listen, shows how Jesus 
then gives this command, if it's me that you're seeking, let these go. That never happens. Whenever there is the, the danger of some, some leader who, who is going to be put under arrest, they not only arrest the leader, they arrest every, all of the followers as well to put down any possible future rebellion. But here Jesus gives a command, and, and this is amazing, that they let them go, especially in light of the fact that Peter draws his sword and he injures one of them. No, he's doing this because he has all power in heaven and on earth. Let me, let, me, let me quote this amazing woman of God, my wife, who said to me the other day, it was as the Lamb of God that Jesus completely shattered and annihilated the powers of darkness. It was through the demonstration of his weakness. I love what Paul says, if God were weak, then the weakness of God would be stronger than the strength of all men. If God were foolish, then his foolishness by comparison would be would be wiser than the wisdom of man. And so Christ is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. What a contrast here in this garden, this garden of Gethsemane. In the first garden mentioned in Scripture, it was a paradise of delight. In this garden, it is, it is a, a sight of fright of, of those who were in the presence of the Almighty. In the Garden of Eden, Eve conversed with the serpent. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus conversed with his father. In the Garden of Paradise, all was lost. The human race was lost. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus triumphs as the victor. In this scene are both Jews and Gentiles. The religious leaders, the Roman soldiers... It was necessary because Jesus would die for both Jew and Gentile, that the gospel would be for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. I love verse four. It says this, knowing Jesus, Jesus knowing, excuse me, all that was going to happen to him. I mean, do you realize how, how God is so gracious to us that that. Our future is, you know, every detail of our future is not known before it happens. But to Jesus, every detail was revealed to him. All that was about to happen to him, every insult that he would receive, the blows that would strike his face, the stripes that would rip gouges into his back, ripping flesh from bone, the insults, all of those things, the, the, the agony of being crucified, the, the, the horror of being separated and forsaken by his father. Jesus knew all of that because it was the decree of God according to the eternal covenant that Jesus agreed upon before he ever came into this world. It's called the blood of the everlasting covenant. And Jesus, it was not only prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus himself spoke of it over and over again to his disciples, telling them that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of wicked men and crucified, but on the third day rise again, showing that he was absolutely sovereign Lord of all. And I want you to notice this too, that Jesus starts the conversation he goes out to them. It's like, it's like he's running to the roar of the lion and he engages them and he says, whom are you seeking? I believe the Holy Spirit wants us 
to see the emphasis here that Jesus is, is, is no helpless victim here. He, he, he's not some reluctant savior. The father is not twisting his arm to be our redeemer. He is doing this out of love for his father and love for his church. He's surrendering himself formally when he's asking them the question, whom do you seek? It's not because he doesn't know who they're seeking. He's, he's, he's asking them so that he can formally surrender to them as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And then verse 6, Jesus said, I am. And when he said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. What an amazing demonstration of his power. No wonder he said, no man takes my life from me. And if no man could take his life from him, then no man could arrest him without his consent. 500 men, 50,000 men wouldn't have been enough to arrest the divine son of God unless he consented to it. On another occasion, when Jesus uttered those same words, I am, before Abraham was, I am, the people picked up stones to stone him. But on one occasion, when Jesus said, I am to his disciples, they were absolutely terrified. And they were terrified because, not because they were stuck in a storm, because Jesus comes walking on the water. And when they see Jesus walking on water and he says those words, I am, now they're terrified. Because listen, it is a terrifying thing to be in the presence of Almighty God. And that realization, listen, this is, this is what Isaiah said when he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his glory filling the temple he says, woe is me, I'm, undone. I'm coming apart. That's what happened. It happened to Daniel, it happened to Ezekiel. When men came into the presence of the living God, there was that, that sense of awfulness, that awe of, of God's presence. But here's the great difference. When Jesus came walking on the water and he said, I am, he also said to those that he loves, to those that are called by his name, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And what a comfort that is to us to know that there's nothing in this world, no circumstance, not, not either in life or in death that can make us afraid because we know the one who is the great I am. And what I want you to simply take away this morning is the knowledge of this, that in all of life's circumstances, Jesus is the absolute cure for all our fears. That we will never we will, you will never have to be a victim of circumstances because you know the one who is in control. For there is never a time or a situation that is anything outside of his control. So trust in him. We can say with the psalmist, and this is the logic, this is the reasoning behind Hebrews 13, 5 says, because he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, we can boldly say, the Lord is my help. I shall not be afraid. The Lord is my help. I shall not be afraid. And therefore, because of that, we can have strong confidence and encouragement. In verse 8, he says, if you are looking for me, then let these go. Now, I know that applies specifically to those disciples that were there that night in the garden, but it has also a ramification of, of meaning that also applies to those that believe and have received. That because of his substitutionary life, 
Because Jesus gave himself for us as our substitution. So we are released. We are set free. And you know, one of the beautiful things about this also comes out is that Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the needs of others, the needs of his disciples, those whom he loved, about their protection and about their care. Listen, we can cast all of our cares upon him knowing that he cares for us. This is something that we know that we know he cares for us. Let these go. How beautiful that command was. And it was a command because there's no way those soldiers would have let those men go had he not had that authority to speak as the divine son of God. And they simply obeyed because Jesus, Jesus was a prophet. In John 17, Jesus was a priest offering his priestly prayer to the father. But here in, in John chapter 18, Jesus is a king speaking as one having authority. Once again, Peter is, is, is out of step with the purposes of God. He takes out his sword and, listen, he wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to split this guy's, you know, head right down the middle. But he kind of probably flinches and, and misses and cuts off his ear. Luke tells us that Jesus touched this man and healed his ear. The very last miracle that Jesus did before going to the cross was an act of his mercy on his enemies, an act of his compassion to bring healing even to one who had come to arrest him. He probably was the first one that tried to lay his hands upon Jesus. Jesus said to him, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? You know, that tells me Jesus was able to look beyond the betrayal. He's able to look beyond the agony of the cross. He's able to look beyond to the, to the Father who had prepared this cup for him to drink. And while in his humanity, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me in his divine nature. Because, listen, the only one who can do what he was about to do was the God-man. Not even a perfect man other than the God-man could have accomplished all that Jesus accomplished. But as that unique person, just as, just as the Garden of Gethsemane is a mystery, so the incarnation, the, the God-man itself is a mystery, hard for us to fully comprehend. The two natures in one, both, both human and divine, not a mixture, not an alloy, but, but, but holy God and holy man. And he takes the cup and he drinks it out of love for us. Jesus was able to look beyond the betrayal of a kiss because in all of life circumstances, Jesus is the answer for every single one of our needs. You know, I said a little while ago, if you're not sure what you believe, you may not be a believer, you may not sure what you believe about God, can, can I just tell you that if you, if you have Jesus, you know, you don't even need to know all the answers. Jesus is more than enough. Let me just share one closing quote with you before we go to prayer. And uh, I don't know who the author of this is. It's unknown, but I hope that this will bless you. It says this, in Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, 
a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a happiness that can never be interrupted, a strength that can never be enfeebled, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that can never be exhausted. These are just some of the things that Jesus is to us. There's probably more than we could count. If we were to record all of the, all of the ways in which Jesus is a blessing to us, they would be more than we could number. I hope this morning that we've aroused your interest to discover that whatever is your need, you fill in the blank. Jesus is more than enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning once again as we come before you. We, we thank you that you've provided for us, Lord God, a Savior who has come not to tell us how to find God, but who is God come to find us. Who is a Savior who has not come to tell us about the love of God, but who stretched out his arms and who said, this is the way that you perceive the love of God because I laid down my life for you. And so, Father, we thank you today for the knowledge that while Jesus was rejected by some, by many others, he was received. And even now, as many as would receive him, to them he gives the power to become the children of God. Let me just stop here for a minute and say that if that falls into your thoughts this morning, that you have never received Jesus, can I invite you to simply start a conversation with him right now? If you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, we, we, we do that through faith. We, we, we do that not by magic formulas of, of, of different words, but of the opening of the heart and saying, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again for me. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for encouragement for this house and for all those that are in the house. That no matter what circumstance they find themselves in today, that that truth will permeate their heart, that Jesus, you are in control of every situation, that, that though we may feel absolutely helpless at times, we are not without help. Though we're not in control, yet there is someone who is in absolute control of all the circumstances of this life. And, and we trust you because we do have confidence that you are able to save to the uttermost, that you are able to do all things well. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand together as we worship one more time.